Please take a copy of God's Word and turn or scroll to Genesis chapter 18. This morning, we are going to continue our summer Sunday morning sermon series on the faith of Abraham, uh, looking at the Abraham narrative in the book of Genesis. And this morning, look at the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 18. Before we hear God's Word read and preached this morning, let's ask for His help this morning. So please join me in prayer again. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're reminded, as the psalmist tells us, you save a humble people, but haughty eyes you bring down. So this morning, help us by your Spirit working in us to humble ourselves under your Word that we might receive it. Lord, it is you who brings light, and we ask that your Word would be a lamp to our path this morning. Our great God, we need light in the darkness. And so we ask that you would accomplish that through the reading and preaching of your word in worship today so that we might glorify Christ and grow in his grace. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Hear the word of God from Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 1 through verse 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sea is a fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy inspired and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. This is the third time that the Lord, we are told, appears to Abraham. It's there in verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him. 
What's the backdrop? Well, the first time the Lord appeared to Abraham, it was after an episode in which Abraham showed that he was strong in faith. It was in chapter 12. The Lord appears to Abraham when he's 75 years old. The Lord, remember, told him to leave his home country of Haran and go to a new land. And the writer of Hebrews explains that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. After he arrived in Canaan, it says in chapter 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God made a promise to give him land. Abraham believes the promise and acts on his faith. And God appears to Abraham confirming the promise. Now, 14 years later, in chapter 17, is the second appearance. This time, Abraham is 99 years old, still childless. But in contrast to the first appearance, the Lord appears to Abraham after an episode of unbelief. He's still childless because he hasn't received the child that the Lord has promised him. Remember, God makes a covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. Sandwiched between the making of the covenant and the confirming of the covenant, the confirming of God's covenant with him with the sign of circumcision is the birth of Ishmael. Ishmael is his son, but he's not the promised offspring. He is his biological heir, but he's not the heir that the Lord had for him to inherit the land. Ishmael came through Hagar. It was Sarah's idea. It was Sarah's plot. And Hagar does give him a son, but it's not according to faith. So it is after an episode of unbelief that the Lord appears to Abraham in Genesis 17, correcting Abraham, saying that Ishmael is not the promised offspring. And the promise of a son will still come through Sarah. So in the first two appearances, the Lord appears to Abraham first to confirm a promise he gave him. And then in the second, to correct unbelief concerning the promise that God gave Abraham. Here in the third appearance in chapter 18, the Lord does both. He confirms the promise to Abraham and Sarah. And this time, he needs to correct Sarah's unbelief. As we observe God's dealings with Abraham and Sarah, his confirming and correcting, we see two important lessons in our passage today. The first is we see the privilege of being in covenant with God. And we'll see that in the first eight verses. The privilege of being in covenant with God. The second is this. The basis for believing the promises of God. So in verses 9 through 15, the basis for believing the promise of God. First, the privilege of being in covenant with God. In the middle of the day, Abraham is relaxing, enjoying a little shade from the tent door. It's siesta time. Imagine Abraham in a hammock, cold glass of lemonade, all is well. Then he spots three men approaching his tent. He pops up and immediately welcomes them, and he insists that they stay for dinner. 
Now picture the 99-year-old man running around coordinating an impromptu feast. Sarah, please make, make your, your special bread recipe. And to his herdsmen, pick the finest calf. We're having veal tonight. Now, I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. It could have been veal piccata. It could have been schnitzel. It could have been veal roast or grilled veal rib chop. What we do know is that it was prime meat served with curds and milk. And don't worry, lunch is right after this service. But this meal wasn't only for sustenance. It was a celebration. Why? Abraham has recognized one of the three. He has recognized him as being the Lord. In verses 4 to 5, he invites all three to stay. In verse 3 of the passage, he only addresses one of them. And he says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. The Hebrew word for Lord in that verse is Adonai. Later in the passage, Sarah refers to Abraham as her Lord, but it is the Hebrew word Adonai. In the Old Testament, Adonai could refer to God or man, and we need to use the context to discern which. But when the word is in the form Adonai, throughout the Old Testament, it is always a reference to God. So, swinging in his hammock, in the door of his tent. It is the Lord that Abraham has recognized that has come for a visit. In many ancient cultures, hospitality was an honored virtue. A man's greatness and nobility would be demonstrated by offering lavish hospitality. In chapter 19, we see two men with the Lord, and we learn that they are actually angels. So we are supposed to take note of the difference between the reception of the Lord and the angels, and the way that they were received by Abraham, the man of faith. And in contrast, we're to observe the experience of the two angels who go on to Sodom, and when they are hosted by Lot, Abraham's backsliding nephew. And the writer of Hebrews has this in mind when he tells us, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Hebrews 13, 2. But the details given and the scene depicted here in chapter 18 is not first and foremost about commending the children of Abraham to practice the hospitality of Father Abraham. No. Abraham recognizes that it is the Lord who has come for a visit. And that is what explains his response. It is his covenant Lord. What is a covenant? Well, there's a lot of nuance that we see from Scripture in defining what a covenant is, but a basic explanation of a covenant is this. A covenant is a defined relationship between two or more parties that involves commitments, responsibilities, privileges, and consequences. God has confirmed his promises to Abraham by entering a covenant with him. He gave him a sign of that covenant in circumcision. And now there's further confirmation that he is in a covenant with the Lord. 
because the Lord has stopped by for a meal. And so Abraham says, am I in your favor? What is this covenant like? And the Lord says, yes, I'll dine with you tonight. Now, we don't have to see this as a sacramental meal to see how it confirms God's covenant. It's most likely just a common meal. A very good one, but just a common meal. It remains an important confirmation of the covenant to Abraham because it is a meal that is shared among friends. He has entered into friendship with God. In Isaiah 41 verse 8, the Lord refers to Abram as Abraham, my friend. Abraham is feeding three, two guests and his covenant friend. This meal is confirming the friendship he has entered into with the Lord. Abraham, the friend of God. Other places in scripture, food is offered to the Lord and it's received as a sacrifice. Here, the pre-incarnate Lord does not consume the calf with fire, but he chews it. He eats it. Ancient commentators and commentators today still puzzle over this. It remains a mystery. The divine Lord, here in a, a temporary earth suit, and two angelic beings digest the meal while Abraham leans against a tree watching his friend enjoy what he's prepared for him. It foreshadows the day in which the eternal Son of God, Jesus, would permanently take on a nature like ours in his incarnation. And as the God-man, he'll walk on this planet for 33 years, eating bread, fish, partaking of the Passover lamb, and doing so with his friends. Jesus will make disciples, and he makes his disciples his friends. John 15, 15, he says, I have called you friends. Through Jesus, sinners are invited into friendship with God. This is one of the high privileges of being in covenant with God, is that you know him as friend. Jesus invites sinners into friendship with God. This isn't a privilege that is common to all covenants, but it is the privilege of the covenant of grace. Now, you may have heard, or maybe you get an image of friendship with God, and you may get an image of something that is more worldly than biblical, as if calling God a friend is some sort of lackadaisical approach to Christianity or spirituality. We don't see that in Abraham, and we don't see that with Jesus and the disciples. And Scripture counters that friendship with God is some sort of lackadaisical spirituality. There's two counters that we could just take a moment to think of. Friends of God seek to honor God more, not less. Psalm 25, verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes them to know his covenant. The closer you grow in friendship with God, the more you are in awe of his greatness. You don't grow less respectful, but more respectful. Friendship with God is not Jesus is my homeboy theology. It's the opposite. Friendship with God is not contrary to reverencing God. The closer you get to God, the more you desire to honor Him. 
The second counter, friendship with God promotes godliness. John 15, 14 through 16, Jesus lays it out for us. He says to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus is not telling his disciples, you earn friendship with God by obedience. When he says, you are my friend, if you do what I command, he's giving a diagnostic. He's reminding them that he didn't treat them like a master demanding blind obedience of his servants, but he has treated them as friends, revealing his father's will to them, showing him his father's heart. Those who have seen the revelation of the father through the son will joyfully respond in obedience. The more you know of the heart of God revealed in Jesus, the more you will delight in obedience. Those who are growing in friendship with God desire to honor Him and grow in godliness. God's covenant with Abraham is confirmed by a meal among among friends. During the meal, God wants to confirm His promise to Sarah too. But this confirmation, it comes through correction. And so in verses 9 through 15, we see the basis for believing the promises of God. At some point during the meal, the Lord checks on Sarah's whereabouts. They are dining just outside the tent, and she is just behind the tent door. If she wasn't already eavesdropping, hearing her name certainly got her attention. And then the Lord says something that she was not prepared to overhear. In verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. When the Lord appeared to Abraham the second time in chapter 17, he told him that he would give him a son through Sarah. Do you remember how Abraham responded? He fell on his face and laughed. Why? He was almost 100 years old. His wife was almost 90 years old. He asked if Ishmael could be his heir. The Lord told him, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. The name Isaac means he laughs. Abraham laughed at the news. Now Sarah laughs to herself. Not only is the Lord insisting that Sarah is going to have a son, he's given them a timetable. There's now a due date. He'll come back in a year. They will have a son. It's a one-year notice. Things are escalating. God has given a guarantee, but now there's a deadline. This should have brought Sarah great joy, but it doesn't. We're given insight into why it does not. Sarah is seeing things from her perspective. In verse 11, we were reminded the way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. Well, of course, she's 90 years old. She is beyond the years of bearing children. In verse 12, we see the inner dialogue that Sarah is having. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, 
And my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Her silent laughter was not her heart filling with excitement. It was an incredulous laugh. She is reluctant to believe what is being said. She is a woman who has desperately sought to be a mother for decades. And when she was in her late 70s, 13 years prior, that's when she gave Hagar to Abraham to try to produce an heir. Now we're over a decade later. She has all but given up hope. From her perspective, it's physically impossible for her to become pregnant. And from her perspective, she is right. The text is clear. The reason for Sarah's unbelief is that she is looking at her own ability and not considering what God can do. So what does the Lord do? He, he does rebuke her laughter. And he does so with a rhetorical question. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And this is the pinnacle of the passage. The basis for believing the promises of God is the power of God. The basis for believing the promises of God is who made the promise. Her belief wasn't resting in who God is. Her unbelief came from considering her own power to conceive a child. As John Calvin has said, God's power should not be calculated by human reason. He who does not expect more from God than he is able to understand by his own reasoning commits a grave sin. This morning, as we're considering this passage, I do want to make a careful clarification. I don't want anyone to be confused about cause and effect in this account. For brothers and sisters who are facing infertility, the message of this story is not if you just have enough faith, you will get pregnant. Unbelief is not the cause of infertility. Sarah is not exactly a comparable situation to what you might be facing. She laughs at the promise because she is a 90-year-old postmenopausal woman. She is long past asking God for a child because she is advanced in years and the way of women had ceased for her. But that doesn't mean that this story doesn't offer any comfort or encouragement for those suffering. It is a reminder that what is impossible with man is not impossible for God. And the opening and the closing of your womb is according to God's most holy and wise purposes. Keep crying out to the Lord and plead with Him for a child because nothing is too hard for the Lord. In that moment, in that very moment, Sarah gets a glimpse into the God's power. In what way? The Lord demonstrates His power to her in this way. She laughed to herself. No one else heard her laugh, but the Lord heard it. Bruce Walkie points out, the one who can read her thoughts can open her womb. The Lord is gently correcting Sarah's perspective. But don't miss this. Sarah's laughing unbelief 
does not cancel the promise of God. Her unbelief is contradictory to the promise, but it does not cancel the promise given. The Lord confronts and corrects her unbelief, not to condemn her in it, but he confronts and corrects her so that she might believe. Again, as Bruce Walke put it, it's a restorative rebuke. A restorative rebuke. This helps us understand how faith operates. How faith works. Our faith doesn't fuel the promises of God. It is God's promises that fuel our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The basis for believing the promises of God is that he has the power to accomplish. From this encounter with the Lord, Sarah's faith is strengthened. And when she is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11 in the the hall of faith, this is what is said of her. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. In this restorative rebuke, the Lord has taken Sarah's eyes off of her own body and fixed them on him. She considered him who had promised. The source of her unbelief was looking to herself. Her faith was built up by considering the one who made the promise. The exposing of our unbelief is not pleasant. And at first, Sarah didn't want to admit it. In verse 15, it says that she denied it. And she said, I did not laugh. And the reason given for her denial in the passage is that she was afraid. Fear follows sin. But the Lord won't allow her to live in fear and denial. He says, no, but you did laugh. With great mercy and compassion, he deals with her sin. He exposes her unbelief. Not to shame her, but to heal her. Nobody likes to have their sin confronted and corrected. No one likes to be rebuked. But every time we do fail, we are tempted to make things worse by running away from God instead of running to Him. So this morning, do you struggle with doubt? Do you battle shameful fear because of the remaining unbelief in your heart and mind? Let me ask you, when you read this passage in your head, do you hear the Lord angrily saying, Sarah, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for me? Don't deny it, Sarah. I heard you laugh. If that's how you imagine the conversation going. You are wrong. That's not the character of our Lord. It was something more like this. Sarah, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for me? Don't deny it, Sarah. I heard you laugh. At the appointed time, I will return to you. And and this time next year, Sarah... In your arms, those arms right there, Sarah, you're going to be holding a baby boy and it's going to be from your womb. Because nothing is too hard for me, Sarah. And Sarah, your son, he'll he'll have many descendants. And one day, I 
I will turn to this world as one of those descendants. Because Sarah, ultimately, I am the offspring promised to you and Abraham. And as the God-man, I'll come as a baby just like the baby you will have next year. And I will grow up. And I'll live in this fallen world for 33 years. Every moment, perfectly believing and obeying my heavenly father. And Sarah, at the end of my time here, I will die. Not because I deserve to die, but my death is going to pay the price for your unbelief and all the rest of your sins. Because greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Sarah, you are my friend, and nothing is too hard for me. Amen. And let's ask for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me again? Oh God, our great God, you are our eternal dwelling place. In the midst of life in a fallen world, you are the one in which sustain us and uphold us. And every time we do stumble and sin, underneath are your everlasting arms. Help us to believe the promise of the gospel that we have, by Christ's death and resurrection, by his blood, we have entered into a covenant with you, a covenant that cannot be broken because it was not secured by ourselves. It was secured by your very own son. So in light of gospel promises, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.